reading of God's word, please. We are nearing the end of our sermon series through the book of Acts. And today, we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of chapter 28, which is the final chapter. And I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and read verse 16 as well. I invite you to grab a copy of the scriptures. There's a pew Bible in front of you. If you did not bring a copy with you, and turn over with me to Acts chapter 28. We have been following the Apostle Paul as he was bringing the good news of Jesus to both his brothers and sisters in Judaism and Gentile folks. He has gone to Jerusalem and gotten himself into trouble because of his testimony about Jesus. He's been arrested and now he's being sent to Rome. And along the way he runs into some trouble on the seas. And they have now arrived on the shores of Malta in verse 1 of chapter 28. So read this with me. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed all of us because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastens itself on his hand. When the islanders had saw the snake hanging off his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook off the snake, shook it off into the fire, and suffered no ill effects. Verse 6, The people expected him to swell up and suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time, And seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him, and after he had prayed and placed his hands on him, he was healed. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. This us, Luke, is speaking on behalf of Paul and the others. And when we, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished, with, furnished us with the supplies that we needed. And then in verse 16 we read, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. We do have our Kingdom Kids ministry today, so we invite those who are four years old through second grade to join our Kingdom Kid workers in the foyer. They're going to take them over to our education building where they're going to get a chance to worship and learn at their level on the bottom story. And parents, you can pick them up after service today. Well, we have been really marching quickly through the book of Acts because I'm wanting to finish it before I get to sabbatical. And many of you are aware of this already, that 1st of June I'll be taking off through the end of July or near the end of July. And my family and I are going to spend some time together and uh, working on a prayer list that if you'd be willing to pray for us, I'll be presenting that next Sunday. And next Sunday will be my last Sunday before sabbatical break. Um, So we're pushing through a little bit faster. I actually was going to finish up Acts today, but there was something about what happened at the end of Acts 27 and now what's taking place through the first half of Acts 28 that I anticipated being the subject of last Sunday's sermon, 
But it turned out God wanted to speak to us, I think, more about deliverance than providence. And so today we're going to talk about Paul and the providence of God. So I just want to pause for a moment and have us pray together. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to your word with hearts ready to hear from you. Now, many of us come to this time together with minds filled with many things, many worries, many concerns, many distractions. And God, while it may not be possible for us to clear all of those out, God, we can bring all of those to you. So as we hold in our hands our life and all that we're going through, all that we have gone through and all that we will go through, we ask that you would speak to us through your scriptures that we might see our lives and the life of Paul and his companions, and we might know that you are a God who provides. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're not going to find the word providence in this passage itself, but you're going to see, if you haven't seen it already, providence in action. What is providence? Providence comes from two words, The main root word is to provide. I'm not a linguist, don't know a lot about that, but I found it very interesting to learn myself this week that providence comes from the root word provide, and provide means two things. Pro, which is forward or on behalf of, I'm pro whatever, I'm for that or that person. But it also comes from the Latin word vide, which is where we get our word video. It's to see with the mind's eye. And so in terms of providence, the providence of God, is to see in advance what is to come and to work on behalf of someone else. The providence of God is to know what is coming down the road and to be at work on your behalf and mine. And this is incredible news because we can't see ahead. We have no V-Day. We have no vision. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, I've got a plan. In fact, at the end of every week, if I have time, and most, most times I do, at the end of every week, I sit down and I plan, what's next week? What am I going to do next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Maybe you do the same thing. I'm guessing. I'm planning. But I really have no idea. What God will bring tomorrow or this afternoon? We got, we, we've got our college graduates, we've got our high school graduates here. They've got plans, but they don't really know. But what, what about God? He not only foresees what happens, but he's sovereign. He's in control of what happens. He's not only in control of what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and a thousand years from now if, if Jesus tarries. He not only knows it's going to happen He's not only in charge of what's going to happen, but he is working on our behalf for our good and for his glory. And so you are not going to find that word providence to provide, to look ahead and prepare a provision on behalf of another. 
You're not going to see that word in, this par- or in these paragraphs, but you're going to see it in action. And in fact, last Sunday, this Sunday, and truthfully, all the way through the book of Acts, that's exactly what we've seen. But here in these last few snapshots of Paul's life, we see the providence of God on display. Last week we talked about how Paul had gone to Jerusalem, he had already gone to Jerusalem, he had been arrested, and he's being sent to Rome to stand trial. And when he gets on the boat, a storm comes. And God delivers not only him, but all 276 passengers. And we're picking up in the story when they land on the island of Malta. And what we find in this, this passage is that God, his provision or his providence over Paul happens in Paul's physical life, happens in Paul's relational life, and happens in Paul's circumstances. We see it happening in his spiritual life. Every aspect of Paul's life, God is in control of it. He's sovereign over it, and he's working on behalf of Paul for his good and for God's glory. We see it physically because In all reality, Paul and all the other passengers on that ship trying to get to Rome should have not made it, even to the island of Malta. And in fact, we know, if you were here with us last week, the ship did not make it. The storm was incredibly strong. They made some errors. Paul was trying to give them some good advice, and they didn't take it. And, and, and the ship breaks apart on land, on, near the land, and they, have to, and they have to get out there, and they have to swim to shore. Some people don't know how to swim, so they're like, hey, grab that plank. Let's get over there. And all of them make it safely, but, but they shouldn't have. One of my least favorite things in the world are snakes. And if you like snakes... God bless you. I can pray for you. Don't you know that's the form the devil took in Genesis? I don't know why you'd like snakes. Some people, some people. But certainly, I mean, if you, do you like venomous snakes, though? Snakes are snakes. That's not true. That's not true. I'll take an indigo snake over a rattlesnake every day of the week. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of snakes. Paul should not, the Bible tells us specifically, this is a venomous snake, right? It's a viper. The islanders knew of this snake. Certainly they had seen this snake's work before by other people and they dropped dead. So, of course, they're just waiting for Paul to drop dead. He should have dropped dead. He did not. That's the providence of God at work. Protected safely from The storm and the shipwreck protected from this venomous bite. God knew what would happen, was in charge of what would happen. He foresaw it and he provided for Paul rescue. Like we sang in that song, which was so awesome. That God rescued, delivered Paul. So another way to talk about providence is that God sees to it. He sees what is coming and he sees to it that it happens according to his will for his glory and for our good. It's not just his safety that God sees to. God sees to Paul's relational needs as well. 
we should keep in mind Paul is on this ship as a prisoner. He's going to Rome to stand trial. There are not friends next to him. This is not summer camp. This is a bad situation. And in fact, at one point, when it looks like they are going to make it onto the island, all the, pris- all the prisoners' lives are threatened by the soldiers. The soldiers say, let's kill them. Because you know if they escape, who's going to be held responsible? Us. And I don't want to be held responsible for some prisoner who escaped after a shipwreck on this island. So let's just kill all of them, and then we don't have to deal with it. Except for the centurion, the guy in charge of all these soldiers said, yeah, but we're not going to do that to Paul. Paul had relational favor with his captor. That's an incredible thing. God saw to it that even his enemies played a role in his providential care for Paul. Even his enemies. His friends too. We skipped over a section. But we read that as Paul is approaching Rome, they leave the island of Malta, they make it to Rome. When they make it to Rome, Christians start coming out to meet Paul. That's the part we skipped in 11 through 15. And then we're told in the, in the end of verse 15, at the side of these people, his brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. From his enemies to his friends, God provided, God saw to it that Paul had everything he needed relationally. Even in the context of enemies, all the way to his friends, he saw to it that Paul was right in the middle of his will. What God wanted to do with Paul's life was not going to be threatened by enemies and would be encouraged by friends. His physical safety, God providentially takes care of. He saw to it. His relational needs and the threats of relationships with enemies, God saw to that as well. And you see throughout the whole thing that God is taking care of circumstances. The circumstances Paul found himself in. You arrive at this island, you're a prisoner. How do you expect to be treated by those who live there? Not good. How was Paul treated? Good. That's God's providential care. Middle of verse 2, we read that the islanders showed an unusual kindness. At the end of verse 7, we read about the guy who's in charge of the island is, shows generous hospitality. At the end of it, after Paul is given the ability to heal the, uh, leader, the, the, the uh, leader of the chief official of the island, heal his father, all the other sick come to him of the island. He heals all of them, providing providential care for all those on the island. And then what happens? It seems as if everybody is so grateful that the, we, we read at the end of verse 10 that they furnished the supplies they needed. In their circumstances, God foresaw what was needed, in charge of what was needed, and provided what was needed. He saw to it that Paul had everything Paul needed to glorify the Lord in his life, to accomplish the mission God had set out for him. Paul was given a mission in this world to take the good news of the gospel, not only to Jews, but to Gentiles. And God saw to it that he had everything he needed to make that happen. Even the circumstances of arriving in Rome, he's allowed to rent his own place, which he would need financial contributions from friends, and it was provided. 
He was under house arrest, no doubt. There's a prisoner there, or, or, or there's, a, there's a, uh, a soldier there to keep guard over him. But you know what he could do? We, we read at the very end in verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there, rented his own house, welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You would think Paul sitting under house arrest, well, God, where's your providential care in that? Surely if you have foreseen that and you would have seen that that would have gotten in the way of your mission for Paul, you never would have let that happen. But no. God was in charge. Paul was exactly where God wanted him to be. And while there, he had fellowship with believers and he shared the gospel with unbelievers. And in fact, we know that, that four of the books of the New Testament, four letters that Paul wrote, all written while he was there in prison. God saw in advance what would take place. In fact, he's in charge of what will take place. He could see it. And he provided all that was needed. And that, I believe, is a great word for us. Isn't that encouraging to know? God sees what your tomorrow holds. He knows what the things that you're worried about they are going to happen next week and the next. He can see it and he is at work now providing for you a way to glorify him no matter the circumstance. And in fact, he will bring good out of whatever circumstance you face because he is a provisional God. He sees to it that we have all that we need for our good and to glorify him. Now, does that mean that everything we wish for will be provided? No, but he will provide everything you would have wished for if you knew what he knew. That's a loose quote from Tim Keller, by the way. Just so you know, I didn't make that up myself. But when I first heard that, it blew me away. That I would pray for exactly what God provided me with if I knew all that God knows. That is a great word. See, Paul never, I, I don't know if Paul could have said that. Maybe, I mean, he's a better Christian than I'll ever be. But so I imagine maybe he could. But, but never in there do you see belly aching, whining, complaining. God, why do you have me in this boat? Why do you got me chained to these people? Why can't we just have a nice, smooth ride? I mean, I'm already going to jail to tell people about you. Why, Lord? He never says. He never asks. We see the end of the story. We see what God did in Paul's life. We see how this journey ends. We see that the gospel goes forth and exactly what Jesus told Paul he would do, he did. We see it. But we can't see tomorrow. That's why this is so encouraging and helpful to us because it promises us that what we can't see, God sees. And what we can't fix, God can fix. And what we, what we think is best may be wrong. And so we have to trust him. We get to trust him with our lives. So it doesn't mean that God will give us everything we wish for. But the providence of God tells us if we knew what he knew, 
we would know that everything we pray for, everything we wish for, would come to pass. If we knew what he knew, that's what we would pray for. Does this mean that God will provide everything we want? No. But he will provide us with everything that is needed to fulfill his will for our lives. This is the providence of God, that he sees in advance what is coming. He is in charge, and he will provide. That is who God is. And in fact, in Scripture, this is one of the names for God. You may have heard the name before, Jehovah Jireh. This comes from the story in Genesis 22. It's a well-known story where Abraham, the father of Judaism is given a promise by God that I'm going to take you and I'm going to bless you and there's going to be so many descendants come from you that they'll be like the number of individual grains of sand on the seashore. That's how I'm going to bless you. And if you know the story, Abraham and, and, and his wife Sarah, they, they have a hard time conceiving. They can't have a child. They can't have a child. They can't have a child. And God blesses them with the first Isaac. That's the background to a moment in Genesis where in chapter 22, God says, I want you to take that son, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Isaac is faithful to what seems to us like an incredible command of God. He does it. Packs up the wood, gets all the stuff together. We're going up the mountain. We're going to make a sacrifice to God. Brings his son. And along the way, his son says in verse 7, the wood and the fire, it's all here. But where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham says to him, God himself will provide. God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Later on, after God did in fact provide the lamb for the burnt offering, Abraham in verse 13 looked up, and there in the thicket he saw that ram. He went and took it, sacrificed it. And then in verse 14 we read, So Abraham called that place on Mount Moriah, The Lord will provide Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. That's where we... Put together these words that mean providence. Comes from this incredible story that tells us two things. This story tells us two really important things. The first thing that it tells us is in this provision of God. What God will provide for him. God says, I'm not like these other false gods. I will provide. In Abraham's context, there were other religions that worshipped differently. They would have lots of gods. And if you wanted rain, you had to appease the gods. You had to make a sacrifice to the gods. And a little bit of sacrifice. If the rains didn't come, you gave more sacrifice. If the rains didn't come, you gave more sacrifice. And some got to the point of giving their own children so that God would provide. It's a horrific thing for us to think about. But that is the world that Abraham lived in. 
and why we can look back and say, okay, well, that's why he took Isaac up the mountain. That's the world he lived in, as hard as that would be. He had seen it, or at least heard about it. This is what God or the gods require. They require you to provide a sacrifice to show your allegiance, to, to show that you're sorry, to show your faithfulness. And when God provides this lamb, he's saying to Abraham, I'm not like those other guys. I'm not like those false gods. That's not who I am. Leave that behind. But the second really important thing he says is there still has to be a sacrifice. And when you fast forward to the New Testament, what we see is that God does provide not just the lamb, but the lamb of God, Jesus himself. God knows that we do need a sacrifice. We do need some way to mend our relationship with God, which has been broken with our own sin. We have to have some way to fix that. And a sacrifice is necessary. But unlike what Abraham saw all around him where you had to make the sacrifice, you had to give and give and give, and some would even give to the point that they would give their own child. God says, that's not me. I provide the sacrifice for you. I provide. Jehovah Jireh, it's the same message Abraham was given. But now in Christ, it was fulfilled. God will provide. God is a provisional God. He gives to us all that we need. His providence is him seeing in advance what we would need and planning and preparing to provide all that we would need so that when we can't see it, we trust in a God who can. And that story of Jesus, that truth about Jesus, gives us that confidence. In fact, in the words of Paul when he wrote a letter to Rome before he ever got there, he would say this in chapter 8, 30, in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give or provide us all things? Not all wishes and wants. All things needed and necessary. Not all things needed and necessary to live the life we want. All things needed and necessary to live the life God has called us to do. This is our God. He will provide. That's who he is. And I'm convinced that's how Jesus could say to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about your life, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. Birds don't have store barns. God takes care of them. God's going to take care of you. Put him first in your life. All this stuff will take care of itself. It is a natural thing for us, and I'm absolutely no different, for us to worry about tomorrow. But the very great news that we see on display in Paul's life is that we have a God who holds tomorrow in his hands. He sees what is to come, and he will provide. We see it in Jesus, and if he would give, provide for us, Jesus, will he not give you everything you need for tomorrow? He will. Let's pray.